Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we wait in thy presence again this day with praise and with thanksgiving unto thee because thou art our living God. Who but thee could open our hearts? Who but thee could deal with our hearts? Who but thee could give us a praise in our souls? Who but thee could convict us of sin and show us our need of Christ? And give us that longing and the desire to know him in the forgiveness of our sins. To crown him, Lord. To fall at his feet and believe him. And to trust him. And to hate sin and love holiness. These things are gifts from thee. These things are living God come down from heaven. From the Father of lights with whom there is no variableness nor a shadow of turning. Even the gift of prayer, as we spoke of this morning, we might beseech thee and call upon thy name, is put within our hearts. For it is said of David that prayer was found in his heart. And so we recognize our need of thee and wait before thee. Now, my Father, this word that you've given us for tonight, Let us speak it in humility and brokenness of heart. But looking to thee, trusting thee, waiting upon thee to do thy work in our midst. Will you convict? Will you do the work that only thou canst do in our hearts? We need thee. And pray that you'll sweep all opposition before you. That you'll answer by fire you'll break hearts at thy feet. Our hope, our trust is in thee. Have mercy upon precious souls that do not know you, that even tonight the convicting power of thy spirit will be strong upon each and every heart, and thou wilt get to thyself glory, and may it be thy time of love to open hearts and open eyes and ears to the things that are made for our eternal peace. Bless the sick in our midst, have mercy upon them. And our Father, be with the bereaved, be with each and every one of us in our place round about the camp. We do trust you, we do look to you, for it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Two weeks ago, you remember, we spoke on the sin of unbelief. Last Sunday evening, we spoke upon the end of righteousness and the end of unrighteousness. The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, there in Romans chapter 6. Tonight, I want you to Look with us for a little while in Psalm chapter 10. And let us read verses 4 and 5. The wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. His ways are always grievous. 
Thy judgments are far above out of his sight. As for his enemies, he puffeth at them. Now it has been our desire by the grace of God and, and these messages he's laid upon our heart for Sunday evening that he would open our hearts and our eyes to what the Word of God can, says about sin. What we are by nature. What we are when God finds us and where he finds us. And how he deals with every one of our hearts. You see, every man, woman, and child, young person whom God saves, we must somewhere face the fact and the reality of sin. We must acknowledge it. We must confess it. Even we must go further than that. We must forsake it. We must repent of it. Yes, and by the word of God, we must flee by faith to the Lord Jesus Christ. For well, this is the end of it all for God's showing us who we are. I say it, beloved, based upon the eternal Word of God, that for Christ to be appreciated, for grace to be appreciated, there must be a genuine knowledge of our misery and sin because of sin. I said, for grace to be appreciated, for Christ to be appreciated, for all that God has done for us in the Lord Jesus Christ, for it to be appreciated, there must be a genuine knowledge of our misery and our sin. There must be an acknowledgement of our helplessness in sin because of sin. There must be, by the grace of God, an acknowledgement and understanding of our lost condition before God in sin. For you see, when sin is sin, then grace is grace. When a man sees himself truly to be a sinner, and he sees sin in the light, somewhat as God sees it in the light, and then grace is given to him, grace is held out to him in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace is grace indeed. He appreciates it. He loves it. He knows it. Christ is Christ indeed. You follow me? When sin is known to be what it is, and our lost condition is known to be what it is, then Christ is Christ indeed. If we but flee to Him by faith, then Christ is loved, and Christ is appreciated, and Christ is longed after, and Christ is trusted. And then we lift Him up. He has a high esteem. Unto them therefore which believe He is precious. He has a high esteem in our hearts and in our lives. But, listen to me now, where there is a superficial sense of sin, it seems to be only a superficial faith. Where there is a super, superficial sense of sin, there is only a superficial faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and what He's done for sinners what he means to sinners. And men do not know their condition before God. So we do not want a superficial knowledge of sin. We desire that God would open our hearts. And as we come to our text tonight, I understand 
that men do not love to hear this. But it is the Word of God. And I want you to listen to it. I want us to look tonight at, man, at men's proud contempt of God. And this is what he says. The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. God's ways are always grievous. That is, his ways. God's ways are always grievous to the wicked. And his judgments are far above out of his sight. In other words, he doesn't think of them. He doesn't want to think of them. He wants them out of his sight. And then as he looks at his enemies, he puffeth at them. He does not have anything, wants to have anything to do with man. Because he puffeth at those enemies, the sins, it's going to bring him into judgment and bring him down to the fires of hell. He puffeth at them. He scorns them. He doesn't want them to even think about them. Except he wants to revel in them and not to think of the judgment of God. Now man in his natural state before God has always been a proud individual. Whether you understand it or not, pride is in the wolf and the wolf of every one of our beings. It's there when we wake up in the morning. It's there with us throughout the day. It's there when we go to bed at night. We are proud creatures apart from the grace of God. Even when we have on our best finery, if the garb was taken off, their pride would show itself. It comes out in our conversation. It comes out ready to show itself on every occasion, and especially, will you listen to me? It shows itself in contempt for God. For watch one expression in verse 4. And this is how pride shows itself in contempt of God. The wicked through the pride of his countenance, now watch those next words, will not seek after God. There we have it. When it comes to contact with God, man's conduct toward God is shown in his atheistical contempt for God. He will not seek after Him. He will not have Him. He will have nothing to do with Him. Even though God invites and the word goes out every day, come, for all things are now ready. Go out in the highways and hedges and compel them come in. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. And though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And though the invitation goes out over the ether waves and through the printed page and the tapes and cassettes, and from the pulpits, that God invites souls to come to Him and to seek His face. And He promises that He will be found of those that seek Him with all of His hearts. Man in his natural state before God 
pays no attention to the promises of God, pays no attention to the threats of God. Man goes on in his way. He laps up sin like water. He eats it down like a fine meal. And he holds God in contempt. Have you ever read what is said in Job 21? Verse 14. Here is the send of contempt of God. Therefore say they unto God, Depart from us, for we desire not the knowledge of thy ways. What is the Almighty that we should serve him? And what profit should we have if we pray unto him? This is the heart of the natural man outside of Christ. Now, beloved, I would you would hear me tonight. I would you would hear the Word of God tonight. If you're here outside of Christ tonight, this is your attitude toward Him if you've not closed in with Him. Oh, but you say, I would never utter those words. But why haven't you trusted Him? Why haven't you come to Him? Why haven't you cast your burden upon Him? For you are saying, Depart from us, for we desire not the knowledge of thy ways. What is the Almighty that we should deserve Him? And then, I want you to notice something else in our text. What he said. Not only does he say that the wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. Watch something else. God is not in all his thoughts. To a certain degree, men have banished God from their minds. Isn't it amazing that an individual can go hours and days and weeks and months and sometimes Years and God will never come to their mind. That's amazing, isn't it? The children of God, they look after Him and cry after Him and they, they wonder why the whole world doesn't. They see the, the beauty and the glory in Him and, and their need of Him coming to their rescue. For daily God shows us our helplessness and hopelessness before Him. But isn't it amazing that there is not one reverential thought that goes through the mind of the wicked toward God? I don't want him. Unless, of course, they get into trouble. And then they will say a little prayer and promise God all kind of things. But then unless the grace of God deals with their hearts, they cast him out of their mind just as quickly as he came in and will have nothing to do with him. This is what the Word of God says. The wicked through the pride of his heart will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. And when we press upon you to devote yourselves to God, when we, we, we press upon you and the Holy Spirit presses upon you seemingly to seek after me, you say, well, these things cannot be attained. Now, that's awful. That is utmost contempt for God and His Word 
to say in the heart these things cannot be obtained. And God speaks lies. He would not have mercy upon me. My case is beyond the power of God to do anything about. That state of holiness and peace and quietness is unobtainable. But that's pushing the blame back upon God. That's not coming to Him. And man takes pride in his lust. He calls it liberty. The exercise of vital godliness, he wants nothing to do with it. That's bondage to the natural man. And everything of the divine life, everything of the divine life is irksome to him. You know why men don't pray? Prayer is irksome to the natural man. Prayer is work. Prayer means quietness before God. Prayer means waiting upon God, as we saw this morning. Unless there comes this cry of God, the power of God, the grace of God. Our hearts will continue far from Him. But I want you to look at verse 5. God's ways are grievous to the wicked. They wrecks them to Him. He doesn't want them. He doesn't have anything to do with Him. Out of my sight with those things. Out of mine with those things. Do not give me any of those things. All that you speak of are cunningly devised fables. I do not believe in them. And then they say that the judgments of God, they're out of sight and therefore out of mind. It's not coming. The day hasn't come yet. And so we don't believe it is going to come because an evil work is not speedily judged. Then men think that it's not going to come. But God says it would. They put the wicked put the judgments of God far above and out of their minds. They do not give it any serious thought whatsoever. <clears throat> and I shall have peace, though I walk in the imagination of my heart. That's, that's an amazing scripture. I want you to notice it in your Bibles. It's found in Deuteronomy 29. Let's begin reading to verse 18 found in verse 19. But look, at, let's begin reading to verse 18. Deuteronomy 29, amazing verse of Scripture. Lest there should be among you man or woman or family or tribe whose heart turneth away this day from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of these nations, lest there should be among you a root that beareth gall and wormwood, and it shall come to pass. When ye heareth the words of this curse that he bless himself in his heart, saying, I shall have peace, though I walk in the imagination of my heart to add drunkenness to thirst. This is a blinded heart, a blinded soul that says, these curses are not for me. He blesses himself in his heart. And he says, I shall have peace, though I walk 
in the imagination of my heart to add drunkenness to thirst. Look at verse 20. The Lord will not spare him. And the anger of the Lord and his jealousy shall smoke against that man. And all the curses that are written in this book shall lie upon him. And the Lord shall blot his name out from under heaven. You see, we cannot disdain the living God. We're not, we're not, we cannot hold him in contempt. Now, what brings all of this about? Why do men act this way? Well, he gives us the cause of it in verse 4 of Psalm 10. The wicked through the pride of his heart. Now, here's the problem. Here is the source of the wicked, the wickedness. This is where the psalmist traces it back. It all arises from the pride of the heart. And what is the pride of the heart? Well, man by nature has an exaggerated self-esteem and self-opinion of himself. He's conceited by nature. He's arrogant by nature. He's full of vanity by nature. He's haughty by nature. All of these things are there. And the pride of his heart deceives him. Did you have a look at that scripture in Obadiah? The pride of thine heart hath deceived thee, thou that dwellest in the clefts of the rock whose habitation is high, that saith in his heart, Who shall bring me down to the ground? Though thou exalt thyself as the eagle, and though thou set thy nest among the stars, thence will I bring thee down, saith the Lord. You see, the pride of man's heart deceives him into thinking that all is well when it is not. In other words, I'm good enough. I don't need God's mercy. And that's what we say when we're lifted up in pride. We do not need God's mercy. We're not altogether as wicked as God says we are. That's what, that, that's what man says in his heart. He might, not give, he might not give outward expression to it, but on the inside he justifies himself in his own eyes. Every man does this by nature. We need to understand this and cry unto God for mercy. I'm too good for mercy. I'm not going to cry for mercy. I'm too strong to need aid. I can take care of myself, thank you. I don't need help from anybody. What? Me repent? What? Me resolve in my heart? To seek the Lord? But if ever a man understands that without God he can do nothing, then it's a different picture. He's ever convicted in his soul that without God he can do nothing. And if he only knew what God's Word says about the proud in heart, that he resisteth the proud, he giveth grace to the humble. Surely God scorneth the scorner, but he giveth grace to the lowly. Everyone that is proud in heart is, is an abomination to the Lord. 
God's Word says, Pride and arrogance do I hate. These six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are abomination to Him. And He starts off with a proud look. And then He said that pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Well, better watch out because God is against the pride, the proud. Now, the thing that, that I understand tonight is this. The pride of the heart deceives. And this is the way it deceives. Will you listen to me? People think it's easy to come in here in the pulpit and, and preach. But to warn you and to tell you the very same things that I am guilty of. If there was a perfect man on earth to preach, and God would call that man preach. But doesn't have a perfect man upon the heart, the, 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 the face of the earth. He has men who have been saved by the grace of God to represent him. Men who know their own hearts. Men who knows the heart of God. Men who knows, knows the mind and, and the heart of Christ. He calls these men. Men whom he's plucked as brands from the burning to lay bare the word and come with fear and trembling to bring the word that God brings. And I've told God all week, Lord, I walk in fear and trembling lest while I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. Now what does, what does pride do? Let's see if we can get it down where we can understand it tonight. Pride keeps a man from admitting that he is lost. That's the hardest thing in the world for man to do is to admit that he's lost and doesn't know the way out of his condition. Pride keeps a man from admitting that he's lost. Pride keeps a man from taking the blame for his condition before God and before man. Show me a man who's easily entreated. Show me a man who is willing to confess his sin. Show me a man who's willing to take the blame for his condition. And I'll show you a man whom God has dealt with. But pride keeps a man from taking the blame. Pride keeps a man from going outside the city wall and taking his place as a sinner before God. And he says there in, in Hebrews 13, Let us go therefore unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. And to go outside the camp, bearing the reproach of Christ, takes the grace of God. Pride closes the heart against God. He doesn't want any light to come in. What, what did one of the prophets say? I think it was Malachi. Said that every time that God lights the candle, you blow it out. And how many times does God come and light the candle in the soul and we blow it out? We don't want it. If our heart searched with the light and the candle of God to go to every crevice and nook and corner of the heart, 
to search it out and see what's there. Do we? Only by the grace of God. Oh, you know, it is only the patience of God and long-suffering of God that bears with us when we blow that candle out and will not have that light to search out the heart that God comes again and again and again and again and He lights that candle until we acknowledge before Him what we see. It's a terrible thing when the light goes out on the road to hell and God no longer shines the light into the soul. That's awful. Push it aside and push it aside and push it aside and blow it out. Pride does this. Pride keeps a man from admitting that he's a fool. I said that pride keeps a man from admitting that he's a fool to stand out against God. You remember Gamaliel's words to the council in Acts 5? When they had put all the disciples on the outside and they were fixing to, to kill them and everything, and Gamaliel said, now wait a while, men. You remember when this man rose up and someone after him and this man rose up and someone after him? He said, all came to naught. He said, leave this thing alone. If it's of man, it will fail. But it's of, if it's of God, you better watch out for you'll be found fighting against God. And beloved, this is awful. We take up a weapon to fight against God. We take up a weapon to fight against God's anointed or God's ministry or God's people. That's awful. We better be very careful in this area. Pride keeps a man from admitting that he's a fool to stand out against God. Again, pride makes a man wise in his own eyes. And he's wise in his own eyes because he feels he has plenty of time. I didn't know when I was young that I'd live to be this old. I didn't know how much time I had. You don't know how much time you've got. Pride hides a man's, blinds a man's eyes. And he thinks he has time. When he doesn't have time, he does not know at any time Khan could blow the candle out and he's gone. Pride wears so many clothes. It makes a man feel that all is well with his soul because he does this or does that or does something else. And all the time his heart is closed against the light of the gospel. Well, my father and mother's a Christian. They know the Lord. The Bible is read in my home. Prayer is made for me. All is well. But beloved, do you know Him for yourself? Do you have the reality of Christ? 
Are you in daily communion with Him? What you have will not do for me. What mother or father, sister or brother, or husband or wife has will not do for you. You better ask God for mercy. And one of the most amazing things in all the world to me is that pride makes a man believe that all is well with his soul while he leaves off prayer. How a person can believe that all is well with his soul and he never prays. He never sees his need. She never sees her need of praying. Never sees your need of studying the Word of God. Humbling yourself before God. You have time for everything else and your eyes are blinded by pride that all will be well by and by and you have no time to pray. You leave it off. You never pray. You never study the Word of God. You never humble yourself before God. And you never get alone to seek His face. Pride of your, the heart. Your heart has deceived you. See, through the pride of your countenance that you will not seek God. You don't need it. You're happy without it. You don't need, you don't need the divine presence. You're wise without the teaching of the Word of God. You don't need to search it for yourself. Pride is a blinding thing because it blinds our eyes to our condition. But it lets us see the condition of everybody else. That's the awful thing about pride. It blinds our eyes to our condition. But our eyes are open to everybody else's condition. That's awful. When our eyes are not turned toward God. Pride blinds the eyes to the emptiness of your testimony. The emptiness of your prayers. The emptiness of your life. All the time you feel that like, like everything is going fine. Oh, I will repent of anything that God shows me. But you never see anything in repent of. You see things for other people to repent of. But you never see anything for your heart. And yet you don't know the emptiness of your testimony, and the emptiness of your prayers, and the emptiness of your life. You feel all is fine. But you do not know the attitude of your heart before God. He said, Pastor, that's searching. But look what he says. The wicked through the pride of his countenance. I didn't say that. God said it. This is a condition of man outside of Christ. The wicked through the countenance, the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts.
May God give us grace to see this, that pride blinds to all of these things. Then I guess the most blinded individual in all the world is the man who prides himself upon his humility. Some woman, some woman was telling Andrew Bonar one time that she hadn't tw- sinned in 20 years. And he looked at her and he says, and I'm quite certain you're very proud of that, aren't you? And she says, I sure am. Proud of our humility. Proud of our submissiveness. For all the time our heart has never seen the hidden rebellion and the covetousness and the unbelief that's there. See, this is what pride is all about. This is what it is. Keeps the sinner from Christ. It's something that's a stumbling block in the way of the believing people of God that needs to be confessed. Something that so easily, we can, we can so easily hide ourselves in a cloak and let others think we're so well. And all the time, we're in rebellion against God. And of course, pride hates God. Makes a man be in contempt against God because he does not want to face God and to come clear and to come clean with God. So God calls for repentance tonight, doesn't he? It is amazing the depravity of the human heart in that we could, add, we could add up all the gross sins of the world. And all my blood boils, it really boils in me. The concept, you hear it so much today because of that meeting in the, of the legislature in Tallahassee come Tuesday. And women talk about the right of women for their bodies. And this thing that the Supreme Court of Florida struck down, a 13-year-old girl could never in her life get a marriage license without the parents' consent. But she can have an abortion without consent. Oh, consistency, where are they? And everything in me rises up against that. All against it. How a rapist can go free in a year or two and the victim live with the scars the rest of their lives and nothing's done for them. It's all injustice. Hate it. But we could add up all the gross sins that we could name and pile them up and none of them compare to the pride of the heart of man in his contempt for God and he will not believe him. will not call upon his name. 
And the Word tells us what to do. And our mouth is to be stopped and we become guilty before God. And beloved, what a great change must take place in us. Oh, what a great change is conversion that must take place in us. And old things pass away and all things become new for us to devote ourselves to God and to seek after God and to cry after Him and to cast ourselves upon Him and to admit that we're lost and admit that we're wrong, admit that we have sinned. And what a, what a, a change in conversion must take place in us, in order for us to cast ourselves upon the mercy of God in Christ and believe that that God, whom we have so proudly sinned against, will hear us and cleanse us and forgive us if we trust Him and come to Him. And what state of conversion must take place for us to be made suitable for heaven. That we might enjoy heaven. We might enjoy the things of the Lord. You would never get a hog to act like sheep. Never. You're never going to get a dove to act like a crow. Crow is a scavenger bird. Lives on carrots. But not the dove. You're not going to get the dove to act like the crow. You're not going to get the crow to act like the dove. You're not going to get a hog to act like sheep. A sheep to act like a hog. Why? Their natures are different. And God must take the hog nature out of us and put a sheep nature in us if we're going to ever be changed. And brother, this is what we need. Every one of us need this tonight if we do not know Christ. We need that change. We need to be made suitable for heaven. For heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people. And this preparation is made down here. So I wish you'd take home with you tonight these words, the wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. And if God has spoken to your heart tonight at all, and God has showed you anything from his word tonight at all, that you would not go to your bed to sleep until you have confessed before God the condition of your heart. Every one of us to confess the pride of our heart even of this day. We would not lay down to rest until we have sought the face of God and closed in with Him. We would not say another day like Pharaoh who is the Lord that I should obey His voice? And God says, trust me. Close in with me. Lay down your arms of rebellion and seek my face and call upon my name. Oh, young people, I call upon you tonight to not lay your head down upon a pillar tonight until you've sought the face of the Lord. Until you've cried after Him, turn Him the pride of your heart. Middle age, elderly, every one of us here, Let's admit that we have no strength. We have no wisdom. We're not wise. We need the grace of God. We need it continuously. 
Pride of the heart has deceived us. We need that great change of conversion to take place in our souls. We need the Lord. Will you? Even tonight, may God have mercy upon us. And you go home with this text written upon your heart. By the grace of God. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D, M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.